Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey Cool Life, a micropod about mental health and creativity. This is episode 125, and it is July 20th. Hi, it has been a while, and if you're even listening to these chronologically, um, I needed to take a moment to just recalibrate. I I had to really just sort of accept that everything right now is moving at a snail's pace. Um, things just take doubly, triply, quadruply long and easily 20 times longer than I would like or often anticipate. And so I've just been moving really slow. Um, yeah, I wanted to check in because I'm doing a whole lot of, I guess, like new work, Um, not just creatively, which I am, like, the last book is pretty much totally over, and I'm really getting into the, the meat and the... I was going to say the meat and the flesh. (laughs) Um, I'm slow and also redundant. Um, Just like really getting into the guts of this new script and having like a really profound appreciation for what it takes and what it sort of costs to be good. And, you know, I acknowledge that there's so much just magic that would happen on set you know, provided this movie ever really gets made, but also, like, so much of it is the writing, and I'm really feeling the responsibility of that. Um, I'm actually doing a lot of reading on playwriting, which has been so helpful in terms of how to create stakes and what to do when characters feel too static, like, when they're you know, I've, I think I've talked about it before, but I've likened it to sometimes arriving, and I've experienced this in books, where your characters are just like two Roombas that get trapped in a corner, so they're just ricocheting off the corner in this like same little part of the room, um, and characters can show up and do that sometimes on certain days, and so reading about uh, playwriting and, you know, those dramatic character-bred um, just, yeah, motivations is, is so helpful. Um, I often find in my books and I've been told a lot as well that sometimes the dialogue is nice and the characters are sweet and the dynamic is great, but there are whole scenes that don't progress the, um, sort of narrative forward and it's it's something that I really struggle with just because books are so long and because you don't have that luxury on screen especially in a movie where it just things are expensive um, I'm trying to sort of create a lot of economy and that means that I'm writing things where every sort of moment needs to do some really serious footwork and so yeah, I'm just, I just wanted to share that um, it was counterintuitive for me, and I'm sure people who went to film school or have more experience in this field probably know that writing about playwriting is really crucial or something, but I didn't know that. And so I've been reading scripts, but I've also been reading a lot of plays. And 
yeah, like, oh my God, nobody beats playwrights in terms of like economy and just sort of like, um, almost feeling like this kind of urgency and determinism around the characters because you're like, oh my God, like this is what they're here for. Um, and they just hit the ground running so often, especially in effective plays. But yeah, the other thing that I'm doing, the, the reason why I started talking about this period is that the other work I'm doing is I am really looking into my codependency, um, air horn. When my mom got sick, um, earlier this year, I kept noticing that there were certain days that I would wake up with almost this like overpowering somatic, like in my body, like, like coiled energy in my joints, like somatic conviction that I could force my mother to do certain things around Corona that I could force her to really accept, um, what cancer as a diagnosis meant. And I wanted her to accept her frailty in the same way that I felt that she was suddenly like, you know, like what's a more pressing comorbidity than lung cancer during the time of like a respiratory pandemic, like all this stuff. And, and I was really, and that sort of carried over to my dad too, when I was just like, you are potentially like a bomb living with my mother, you know, all this stuff. And I was just so enmeshed and I was so like just bugged out and each day would sort of pass. Um, I'm distracted because there's construction outside, but each day would just sort of pass where I would be blacked out for the whole day because all I did was sit around trying to strategize and text and call the, you know, two people who have way more wisdom and discernment than me. And like, yeah, trying to force them to act a certain way. And, you know, I kind of think about it as maybe just the next level of whatever my recovery is going to be. But, yo, that shit felt... I felt so, so sick. I felt so... Yeah, I felt like very much that I was in the grips of like another kind of addiction and obsession. So I've been going to another 12-step program for that. And it's, it's kind of wild because it really does feel like I'm suddenly in school or something because I'm, I'm like, I have class all the time. Um, but it's been so, so helpful. And the one thing I just wanted to share, especially because I think that there's just a lot of like enmeshment going on with partners and whoever you're in like a pod with in terms of like roommates or, or family, just because we've been sort of like cooped up for so long and that creates its own type of little energy. And, um, I didn't know that, like, I knew I was codependent and I knew that in a lot of ways, my reluctance to be more assertive and to be accountable and just make mistakes, like my unwillingness to sort of put myself out there and try to like do all the reading or strategize or know exactly what I'm going to do when I'm, when I get there or talk to other people who have had similar experiences and then just sort of you know, decide like which outcome is going to be the thing that happens to me. 
And a lot of times it's like I'm asking people to be soothsayers or like God. And so I knew I was codependent in that way. And I knew that like I had a lot of work to do in terms of what I perceived to be my own passivity historically and as like, you know, an Asian woman. But I didn't know that codependents are also like really fucking controlling until really recently. Like, I didn't know that a huge part of the work wasn't just like chiming in on a decision or isolating what it is that I wanted and, you know, like voting for that and advocating for that. I didn't know that I was also a nightmare in the other way where I was trying to control outcomes by seriously trying to manipulate from like a victim position, from like a martyr position and like manipulate other people to do and act and behave a certain way. And yeah, that's been so interesting. Like the really, really nice thing about sort of recovery and taking responsibility is that like you know, you don't have any control over what other people do. That's just a given. And intellectually, we all know that. But I think that there are definitely certain times when I'm like, well, if you loved me, I would be able to control you. And then that sort of like weird hostage situation and emotional blackmail sort of takes hold. And I don't know the role that I'm playing in that. But yeah, like, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, which will happen. Um, but yeah, like I didn't, I, I, yeah, taking responsibility for it is nice because it's not just about trying to control what other people do because that is futile. But I, taking responsibility means that I can control what I do. And again, like, there are certain times when I'm talking on this thing where I'm like, yo, you sound so stoned because some of these things are like super obvious, but I think I need to articulate it because so, so often like my personal mythologies around like how I work and what I'm like has nothing to do with the way other people perceive me. And what even is other people like? They're not a totality either. Like each individual person in my life perceives things in different ways. And like, sometimes I just forget that. Um, so that's kind of the wave that I'm on. I'll continue to sort of share about um, the way that affects my decision making. Like I used to have that rubric of trying to isolate what my mood is and what I want to do because I had so little information around like my own personal likes and dislikes. And I've since learned that that has a whole lot to do with my history of codependency and just the roles different people have played in my life as I was growing up. But yeah that that whole paradigm has shifted for me and I will definitely be sharing more about that next time um thank you so much for listening and yeah have a gentle day it's it's wild um I know that I am experiencing grief and depression in these like massive cyclical um motions and yeah like everything felt okay and then everything sort of felt grim again and I'm sort of in a grim place but I just say that to sort of acknowledge that this thing is going to be so long and it's certainly a lot longer than I personally anticipated and so yeah I definitely 
am in ongoing process mode with that as well. Okay, bye.